So yeah, it all it all started it all started in Thailand, and I was traveling all over Thailand working with Muay Thai guys, making no money, sleeping on floors, handling their weight cuts, their rehydration, and kind of just seeing what worked, what didn't work. I was testing it on myself as well, and uh-huh. you know the good thing about that, I mean, when you got guys fighting for fifty bucks, you know they appreciate the help. You know that yeah, that I I felt like even at my worst. I helped them like 1%, you know, so it was yeah. like, it was huge for them. You know, they had someone that was kind of catering to them and helping, helping them cut weight and, you know, handling yeah. that aspect of it. But it just gave me tons and tons and tons of reps. And, yeah. and that thing, I think that was the biggest difference in, in, in shift because I took that risk, went out there, made some good connection with the guys that were coming up in the UFC and like coming up in the Muay Thai mm-hmm. scene. And, and it kind of just snowballed from there. Welcome to the Zero Quit Podcast, where we bring you inside the minds of elite athletes, business owners, specialists, and other creatives. I'm your host, Brock Covington, and through these conversations, you'll hear practical advice and effective strategies for optimizing not only your performance, but also your habits and routines as well. If you enjoy the show, be sure to subscribe and share it with a friend. What's going on, guys? Today, I have the pleasure of having on Ian Larios. He is a nutrition coach and chef for top MMA fighters across the world, including UFC champ or former UFC champ, now Hall of Famer Daniel Cormier, UFC champ Jamal Hill, Yair Rodriguez, who just got the interim belt, and uh, even Bellator champions, including Sergio Pettis as well. What's going on, dude? What's good? It's a pleasure to uh, like connect, like I said, because you're in Bali, and then I'm in the States, and the, uh, the connection, like, I'd never really thought about the time zone with Bali, but it being like 15 hours is kind of, you know, wild, like we, we talked about before we started this. And so, like, you know, you're just waking up. I'm getting close to bedtime, but uh, we're making it work. 15 hours in the future. Yeah, it's always hectic coming <laughs> back here from the States. Well, it was funny trying, trying to, to schedule it, too, because I told you I was like, uh, I'm like 7 a.m. Thursday for you, but it's Wednesday for me. So it's not even just a, a time thing. It's like. I have to remember what day too, so I'm glad uh, neither of us messed up and I don't know showed up on the wrong day. Yeah, that's why I was like, just give me the date and time because like I've done, <laughs> I've done a few before where someone like doesn't you know account that I'm you know 15 hours ahead and then yeah you know we're on completely opposite days and yeah so yeah plus it's good to connect because uh you know I'm not the like most hardcore of hardcore fans with with MMA but I do consider myself like a general hardcore fan. And um, I followed it for like, you know, five, six, seven years now, trying to watch every fight. Even, you know, I'm not I'm not the generic guy who's just hopping in saying, oh, is this Dustin Poirier guy any good? Or, you know, the friend that yeah. probably asked you like, oh, is when is Conor McGregor fighting? So it's nice to kind of get into like a little bit of the weeds as far as, you know, some prospects, weight cutting, all the little like details of uh, MMA. Because, you know, as, as, as you know, it's still like a pretty niche sport for the most part. For sure, man. And I mean, that's the biggest thing. I was a fan before anything. I mean, I used yeah. to go to the fan expos as a kid. You know, I'd wait in line to meet fighters. And it was one of those things where I was a fan before any of this. So yeah. it's cool to, you know, be part of the be, be part of the sport. But yeah. I'm, I'm still a hardcore fan. You know, I try to yeah. watch all the fights. <laughs> um, I mean, when I was growing up, I didn't miss one fight. I used to watch the fights yeah. on Facebook when, like, the prelims were on Facebook. And, like, you just stream them through. Mm-hmm like the Facebook page and and yeah so I get to be a fan in a sport that you know that I love and and do what I love so it's a cool little mix of all my passions um, yeah and at the end of the day it's cool to sit back and and be able to watch like my hard work and their hard work come together but I'm still a huge fan so I gotta pinch right. myself and, all the and time. you get a you get a good seat as you know as I touched on a little bit 
Um, you know, you just got back from Perth, Australia, where they had, uh, what is it, 284. And, uh, yeah. you know, as Emmett was at the, uh, what do you call it, the little spot where they're checking him before, you know, adding in the, uh, what do you call it, the Vaseline, everything on their face, little yeah. waiting zone. And I, I, like, look over the shoulder, and I see you, and, and I go, I, like, nudge my uh, my wife, and I was like, that's the guy I'm having on the podcast, like, later this week. <laughs> and so that was, like, funny seeing you just there, just stoic, getting hype. And, um, but yeah, those, those fights are pretty wild. Yeah, I was a nervous wreck for that fight, to be honest, <laughs> just because, I mean, I get close with these guys, you know, yeah. and it's hard to not be emotionally invested, you know, I don't yeah. look at it as, like, how it's going to benefit me, like, I'm, I'm truly just wanting them to benefit from you know from their wins and yeah. see them progress in life you know and i've been on both ends of it where guys lose and guys win but that perth crowd was crazy so it didn't help yeah. at all like it was <laughs> nuts in there and it was loud in there from the second i walked in and yeah. i only i mean because i was cooking for a year throughout the morning mm -hmm. and we had to check in at, at i think 9 9 a.m so like mm -hmm. he really only got like a meal before he had to go and I mean, some of those guys were fighting at seven, so they had to go check in at yeah. five a.m. That's is right. Crazy. Yeah, because yeah, because that card, because they were still doing it, you know, North North American uh, pay per view time. Yeah, it still ended up being like nine a.m. for a lot of fighters. Those guys are having fist fights for breakfast. Like yeah. those, those guys <laughs> have to go, you know. And I mean, obviously, some guys acclimated and got there early. Yeah. But I mean, if you're on the prelims, some of these guys aren't like in the financial position to get out to Australia, you know, a week yeah. early. Yeah, and exactly. So they're having really to they're having to acclimate pretty quickly, and and I mean they had to weigh in at at seven a.m. So I mean they had mm -hmm. less than twenty four hours to rehydrate, and then go out there and fight in front of the crazy bloodthirsty Australian crowd that were just chanting <laughs> all sorts of crazy. stuff. I said the only crowd that I think would compare would be uh, that London crowd back on that March card, or just London in general. Those yeah, those London crowds in general. Are actually I've actually not. I haven't been to London yet. Um, I, I've been to London, but I haven't been there for. For a UFC card recently, I think the last one I went to was a couple years back, but I didn't go to the fights. Um, Do you have anyone fighting used, on the uh, upcoming? Was it two eighty six? Um, no, I don't. I actually kind of just okay. like I'm taking a couple weeks off after these, you these, these last <laughs> these last few, just to kind of yeah. unwind and, and be able to you know have a little reset and be back be back home and hang out with my dog and you know, chill a bit because they're banging, they're banging fight cards out left and right. You know, Vegas, they are. there's one in Vegas yeah. this weekend. Mm -hmm. So yeah, well, yeah, let's, like let's dig into a little back. bit about, uh, about you and your history and explain, uh, yeah, how you got into all this. So I guess walk us through a little bit of, uh, your origin story, um, a little bit of your background, how you got into food, how you got into cooking, MMA, even, I guess, give us the, uh, the general scoop. Yeah, so I grew up internationally. Like my my parents were international school teachers, so mm. we traveled all over the world growing up, going to different schools. We'd move probably every two three years, so I was kind of just grew up in a bunch of different cultures, um, mm. and that's kind of where my food journey started. We were just I always loved loved food. I may not look like it, but I like to eat. Um, <laughs> oh, when you're six four, it's it's a hard to pack on pounds, right? It is. It is. <clears throat> And yeah, so it kind of all started in Malaysia, um, in Kuala Lumpur, Malaysia. Food is such a big piece of the, just the culture there that I grew up just going to all types of different like crazy Chinese restaurants where they're, you know, they have live duck and fish and everything. And I was just fascinated by it. I used to go mm -hmm. just sneak back into the kitchen and watch them like gut frogs. And, and it was just one of the things that, you know, I think it like opened my eyes to, 
I always loved food, but like just the process of like cooking food and providing food um, yeah. was something that you know just made sparks of curiosity. Me, sparks of curiosity, and it was something that you know I thought I could I could do. You know, it, it yeah. didn't seem like it was something too crazy, and so I started making YouTube videos of cooking like immediately. This was before YouTube uh-huh. was cool, and there's actually yeah. there's there's still a couple of videos out there. I used to, I was I was made fun of, <laughs> so I, I deleted Dude, a lot I, of I, them. Uh, I have the same same story basically, and I actually stumbled across or across some of my old videos. So I, uh, probably around the same age that you were doing it, like you know early like 2010, 11. I was actually making like these tech YouTube review channel, or I had like a tech uh, review channel, and so I was just reviewing literally anything I'd buy from. It was like a pair of like Skull Candy headphones or whatever. Yeah. And like looking back, I was like filming it in like photo booth on my family like you know MacBook. And uh, high pitched voice and just yeah, the worst lighting. Like the it's hard to videos. watch, right? It's hard to watch. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and you get like teased for it, but like in the long run, I'm sure you feel this way too. You're so glad you did some of that experience because there's so many people that are like really uncomfortable on camera or don't feel like they're that creative. And so even though you get teased a little bit, you almost kind of get these creative juices flowing, a little bit of confidence, a little bit of independence, you know. Yeah, and exactly. But the thing was, it's like a different culture now. Like now it's now it's accepted. Yeah. Like it's normal for kids to go Very and do different. like toy reviews and 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 yeah. do their TikToks and all that stuff. Where it was like it was a different time where it's like a shift in 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 the culture in the sense that like back point. then it was like YouTube wasn't obviously YouTube was growing and there was some channels that did really well, but it wasn't like you knew someone that did a bunch of YouTube videos. But now it's yeah. like I have a bunch. Now of they're famous. That, they got careers. Yeah. Jake Paul's boxing people. Money. <laughs> yeah, they're yeah. making crazy money, and it's just like the thing to do. So yeah. I think, yeah, I was in the, I think I was in seventh grade. Um, and yeah, I was just doing, my dad would film, and mm-hmm. I'd get everything prepped up, and I'd do like this, these horrible walkthrough videos on how to cook like Malaysian curry. And like, I, <laughs> I got one, like, I got one video with like, I think 15,000 views, and back then, like, yeah. That's a you lot. Know, yeah. a, white, a white kid in Malaysia cooking Malaysian curry. Like all the comments <laughs> were like, "Oh, you shouldn't do this. You shouldn't do that." Blah blah blah. Yeah. And like at the time, I was like, oh, "I'm not doing any more." And I, did, <laughs> I ended up doing a couple more. And then yeah, yeah word got around in my in my middle school that I was doing YouTube videos and people would, like open up during class. I'm like, you know what, man, I'm not doing these anymore. <laughs> well, we we, we had this the same uh, shame experience at least. So you're not alone in that. So how'd you end up getting into actually? advancing from a little like side hobby doing this for fun to okay i'm actually trying to shift this into a career path see what i can make from it so like i said i was a i was a big fan of mma um Mm -hmm. used to watch like i'd watch all the weigh-ins and um i just would be fascinated with these guys weighing in i'm like these guys have to have some form of like maybe they have chefs or i didn't really know too much about it because i just saw these guys were shredded and weighing in cut up yeah cut up I'm like I wonder who cooks for these guys and there was no one really doing it yeah so that kind of sparked my interest because I was like I wonder if that's something I could do like if I could cook for fighters and then as I started to dig into it I was like wow these guys are cutting a lot of weight like these guys have to lose a lot of weight and they have to cut a lot Mm -hmm. of weight I'm like I wonder if there's anything that help anyone that helps them with that and at the time I I just started training too Mm -hmm. and it was in a in like a bad gym well, not a bad gym. MMA was overall like, was a specific yeah. discipline. It was an MMA gym, so it was like a fight okay. gym. 
but it was yeah. like a hardcore like OG like sparring every day type gym. Oh yeah, yeah. And that's like where I got like my licks there. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. So it was like, and it was in Reno, Nevada, and it was just like a hardcore, just like leave with yeah. a bloody nose Wars every day, every day. And a headache. Yeah. yeah. And I was I was a growing kid. Like that's the last thing I needed to have was some form of head trauma. Yeah. But I'd see just fighters cutting weight, and a couple would be crying. Like, they'd just be, like, struggling, and mm -hmm. coach would tell them to eat an apple and go home. I'm like, that doesn't yeah. sound right. So I kind of started digging into it, and there was a couple guys that were kind of in the space and 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 successful, and a guy named Mike Dolce was kind of like the OG of, of, yeah. of the kind of the weight cut space um, and the nutrition space in MMA. So I kind of started following him. He was in Vegas, and he was, like, the guy. He was working with everybody. So as, as I was winding down with school... Was going, was going to school in Venezuela. We, we ended up moving to Venezuela my senior year. And I was like, okay, this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to try to be like him. So obviously, mm -hmm. I got to go to school. Um, so I applied to school in, in Vegas because I just thought that would be, that's the fight capital of the world. That's where I need to be. Mm -hmm. If I go to school in Vegas, I could work with fighters. You know, I can train at a gym and just try to work with as many fighters as I can. Yeah. Um, so did did that. You know, I, I, my goal is to work with, work with him, with, with Dolce. So I moved down to Vegas. I was like sleeping in my car, going to school, and I'd sleep in front of the gym that Dolce was uh, would train out of because I just wanted to have like a chance encounter with him. And yeah. he'd like, hey man, like let me intern for you. Like I'm <laughs> I'm doing this. Like I'm I'm yeah. gonna be the guy. And that never ended up panning out. He was kind of the guy that like he wanted. It's, it's the Dolce diet. It's about him, right? So it was like yeah. he didn't want to yeah. bring on some young hungry kid to you makes know sense. to handle that for him, which makes sense, I guess. So I, I had a few I had a few encounters with him and he kind of pointed me in a couple of different directions but not the right one, um, <laughs> and I was scrolling. Was the school? I was, um, I, was, I was gonna say, was the school you were at? Was it kind of like? Because I assume it wasn't like a formal like a four D four year degree type deal. Was it like a one or two year program or what was that? So it was a, it was a three year program, but it was okay. more geared towards working in hospitals for as a dietitian. Yeah. Okay. Which was just. The menus we were putting together were just for like pre-diabetic <laughs> and like just it was yeah. like the opposite of what I needed to learn. Like I was learning the yeah. base of nutrition, which I already kind of knew because I was doing that throughout high school, but yeah. none of it was applicable to professional athletes. It was all people that were either obese, sick, mm -hmm. you know, old. Like it was all just one of those Chronic things where I was issues, like, "What do? We, yeah. yeah, just just we were, I was sitting there. I'm like, how is any of this going to apply to what what I want to do?" Yeah. And then I randomly got a friend request from a, a chef that was the head chef at Tiger Muay Thai in Thailand, mm -hmm. which was like the, the prime place to train in Thailand. It was like, I don't know, Roger Huerta, like Mike Swick, all these guys. Still were is, there right? It is. There's a, couple, there's a place called Bangtown now that's like the, the spot okay. like they, with the Hickman brothers. They're, they're crushing it out yeah. there. Um, and it, yeah, it used to be the spot. Um, but... At the time, it was like this place to train in Asia if you were trying to do MMA. Yeah. Like they were the first pot, spot trying to do like have good wrestlers and everything. Um, mm -hmm. And the chef basically reached out to me and offered me a because I, I I talked to him I tell him what I was doing and he offered me an, an internship at Tiger Muay Thai to just handle the the nutrition program there. So I basically put together a nutrition program for fighters, help fighters, and he'd give me room on board, a place to stay, and free training. Mm -hmm. And that was like my that was my pay. It's a good deal. I was like, yeah. I'll put the flight out there right now. 
And yeah. um, I was busting tables at this pizza place in Vegas, and school wasn't going great for me because I felt like it was just it was pointing me in the, the wrong direction. Like I had no interest in working, you know, working in hospitals. Mm-hmm. So worked a couple months, saved up some money, and and flew out to Thailand and and just fully immersed myself in trying to become, you know, a, yeah. a chef and nutritionist for fighters. And so were your um, I was gonna say, were your parents uh, living like close by, or where were they around this time where you were sleeping in the car, working this job, and and thinking about making this kind of big transition move? So my parents were still they were in Venezuela, so they were they were okay, teaching so at a school in Venezuela. Around okay, yeah. So they they I was the youngest kid, so they they were yeah they were they were still in Venezuela, but they didn't you know me and my sister were in the states now and trying gotcha. to be self-sufficient and uh yeah. so yeah i was i had i had family in the states but my parents you know my parents were in the states and it was so normal for us to get up and move so they didn't yeah. think anything of it when i went to thailand they're like oh it's just ian's to another move go yeah. to do his thing <laughs> yeah yeah i get that so yeah it all it all started it all started in thailand and i was traveling all over thailand working with muay thai guys making no money sleeping on floors handling their weight cuts their rehydration and kind of just seeing what worked what didn't work i was testing it on myself as well and uh-huh. you know the good thing about that i mean when you got guys fighting for 50 bucks you know they appreciate the help you know that yeah that i i felt like even at my worst i helped them like one percent you know so it was yeah. like it was huge for them you know they had someone that was kind of catering to them and helping helping them cut weight and you know handling yeah. that aspect of it but it just gave me tons and tons and tons of reps and yeah. and that's been, I think that was the biggest difference in, in in shift because I took that risk, went out there, made some good connections with guys that were coming up in the UFC and like coming up in the Muay Thai mm-hmm. scene, and and it kind of just snowballed from there. Yeah, I mean that's definitely the place for for prospects is Thailand in general, and definitely at that time Tiger Muay Thai is definitely like a hotbed for a lot of up and coming you know athletes and stars. I, I, excuse my ignorance, but what is it like for? or in Thailand as far as like, what are the marketplaces like? Like where are you getting your food? Where are you cooking it? Are you living with a bunch of guys? Is there much of a kitchen? Like what, what's that kind of situation look like? So the cool thing there is it had, it had a full scale like commercial kitchen. So pretty much I'd okay. give the guys directions and they'd kind of handle it. But then like yeah. when we'd go on the road, I'd just bring a, a hot, like a hot plate. Yeah. And I'd be cooking okay. in like hood ass hotel rooms. <laughs> <laughs> and going to Thai yeah. markets, buying chickens and like not whole chickens, but like yeah, or live chickens. But I'd buy be buying chicken. Well, they were live <laughs> when I bought them, but then they'd handle that for me. I didn't <laughs> have the good. I didn't have the I didn't have the facilities to be gutting chickens in the in the hotel room sink. Yeah, but, I'd imagine um, not. So they'd handle they this great produce there, all fresh, and then obviously you got yeah. like beautiful coconuts and stuff like that. What I was making their rehydration stuff with, but it made yeah. uh it made it uh it made it super easy because i had you know a full scale kitchen and then yeah. they were able to like kind of i'd be able to run my programming through them and mm-hmm. and handle handle that aspect of it. I, i'd go in there and cook sometimes too you know depending on what mm-hmm. fighter it was um but more so i'd send them the plan and then you know or the fighters would cook too sometimes like the fighter i mean there's yeah. just too many guys where I couldn't do everything. So it's like send the guys directions, portion sizes, and the guys would kind of handle the rest. So what's your approach with uh, with nutrition? I'm sure it's it's changed over time, and you could even touch on how it's evolved. 
But as far as, you know, when you're cooking for these guys, I imagine, you know, you're thinking, okay, protein, whole foods, good carbohydrates, and you could, you know, dig even more into that. But, you know, as far as, are you looking at the macronutrients specifically, you're starting to hit certain targets as you're trying to cut them down? Are you looking at just slowly reducing the calories or are you, you know, what, what's kind of your thought press uh, of that? Because I've, from being in like the bodybuilding space for like seven years, like I know the general theme of, of cutting from a slow methodical process, but I wonder, you know, what your attitude and, and uh, approach to it has been. So it really depends on the athlete. Obviously, if the guys have huge weight cuts, it's an entirely different approach. And that's true. Know, yeah. Counting calories and macros is super important, but really focusing, like, let's say, like, it's not a huge cut and a guy just has to lose, you know, 10 pounds throughout the camp. Mm-hmm. You could really focus on just performance and fueling right. each workout specifically is mm-hmm. kind of the approach for that. Um, so, obviously, if guys are doing, you know, 10 rounds of wrestling and 15 rounds of sparring, obviously focusing on it like a carbohydrate high and carbohydrate mm-hmm. rich diet that day. And then obviously if they pull back and it's, it's a day off, it's a completely different like approach. Um, yeah. so it really depends so on like the, the idea. Yeah. Is it the idea of basically, okay, fueling that performance food is fuel so that they are performing optimally as much as they can, which is therefore going to allow them to burn more calories and kind of create that deficit. Yeah, and then obviously fueling for recovery as well. Yeah. Because obviously you could yeah. fuel for a great workout, but if you botch the post-workout meal and, and everything else after that, like you're going to have a fatigued, mm-hmm. you know, underfueled and, you know, under-recovered athlete. Mm-hmm. So the biggest thing with that, just doing nutrient-rich foods as well. I make everything from scratch. You know, all the sauces, everything I make is just from scratch. Mm-hmm. Um, so pretty much limiting preservatives, whether there's – you know, whether that's beneficial to them or not, I just like to be able to handle everything and have everything in my hands. Yeah. And I just really think that, like, whether, you know, seed oils cause inflammation or not, that's up for debate. But I just try to handle all aspects of it. So I, I'm in control of each ingredient that goes in there. And I know exactly, yeah. like, how much sodium, how many carbohydrates, you know, how much protein, everything yeah. down to a T that's going in there because I'm making everything from scratch. You know, yeah. and then just tracking the, the weight loss. You know, I know, I, like I said, I know how many calories are going in. I know their wake-up weights. I know how much water they're drinking. Mm-hmm. So in terms of where they're, where they're tracking, we can make decisions based off that um, for the next day. Intrafuel, stuff like that. Like see, see how much yeah. they're losing throughout each workout. Make sure that we're putting that back on and they're, and they're optimally hydrated. Um, so just tracking it to a T. Uh-huh. Weighing them pre and post workout. That way, I kind of know, have an idea of how much they're losing, and and being able to kind of, you know, refuel them adequately. Yeah. Um, Is there? I, I know when. Uh, I was not to cut you off. I know when I was uh, like cutting for bodybuilding and things like that. Um, generally, I think you know I was trying to aim for like one to two pounds um, per week. Now, obviously, a, a fight camp might be a much longer. Are there certain kind of ranges? Obviously, like we mentioned. The, the poundage can vary greatly depending on the athlete, but are there certain like ranges that you're trying to like stay within as far as, you know, them losing weight from week to week or like, Hey, we're losing too fast. If it goes above two pounds a week or something like that. Yeah. I mean, again, it depends on how they're performing and how they're recovering. Like if they feel great and they're losing and they're losing weight fast, let's stick yeah, to so it. Yeah. a bit intuitive. Yeah. yeah. But then, I mean, the thing about weight cutting is like, it usually doesn't come off 
as fast as you'd like. Yeah. And <laughs> it's one of those things too where guys like if guys wake up heavy, you know, it changes yeah. the pace of the day. Because you're the guy cooking their food, whose fault is it? You know, like I mean, technically, is it is it my fault? But like, you know, you're you're, and I'm living with the guy too. So it's like, yeah, I try not to tell guys, oh, you're gonna wake up at this weight today, just because there's a lot of variables, right? Like if he slams water before bed, you know, and he's half a pound heavier. You gotta tell DC no more snacking. Yeah, <laughs> just tape, just tape, tape the tape the uh, cabinet no again for him. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, but it's it's more so. Yeah, I guess it's one of those things that just varies on the athlete. But um, yeah, I try and I try and uh, just track the the daily progress. Um, so like at the end of the week, we see okay, like you lost half a pound a day. Mm-hmm. During two sessions, you lose a pound and a half, and it stays fairly consistent. But obviously, as you know, as you get closer, that can drastically change. Where you're not, yeah, you know, you're not dropping as much. That messes with you mentally. Then you feel like you're just, you know on the struggle bus because you're not losing weight you feel yeah. like you're under fueled and as you cut back on calories if you if you feel under fueled like there's really no way to avoid you're not going to yeah, add more can't. calories into that <laughs> yeah, equation exactly. right so yeah. um well i think you, you referenced a good damage control yeah you referenced a number of good points because uh as obviously you experience your weight fluctuates every day for a million different reasons right so it's really important to look at an entire week's worth of weigh-ins weigh in at the same time every single day usually is how i did it first thing in the morning you're always also doing it you know pre-post workout which has value as well and then looking at the you know weekly averages seeing how the progress is being made because you know if you drink a lot of water before bed your weight could be different if you had a lot of sodium you could be holding water weight if you eat later at night it might not you know digest it as fast so many different factors so it's hard to you know, account for that, but you do as best you can. How often are fighters making the mistake of uh, cutting carbs to uh, try and lose oh, fat? Oh man, all the time, <laughs> all the time. Guys think carbs make them fat, you know, of and they're, and they're, they're <laughs> and I mean, if you're doing ten rounds of wrestling and and you're eating avocados and chicken breasts, like <laughs> you're gonna feel like. Are there fat. any fighters that thrive on like a keto diet that you know of? I mean. Not, I don't know about thrive, but I mean, I know there's some guys (laughs) that that, that try, you know, and they're going on grit and just toughness. Yeah. So, I mean, I mean, and Jamal was one of those guys. Like, he just, if he wanted to lose three pounds in a week, he'd be like, I'm doing keto this week. Yeah. And he'd tell me this. I'm like, but why? And he'd be like, he'd he'd have one meal, you know, he'd he'd fast all day, go train, intermittent fast. He'd Uber Eats, yeah. I mean, but he was—he didn't know he was intermittent fasting. Like he's, he's yeah, he was just starving. He just start, yeah, he was just starving himself and figuring that that was the best way to go about it. Uh, he'd order Applebee's, like some like blackened salmon, and yeah, he'd Uber Eats it to the house. He'd eat that, and then he'd have a Snickers bar. Yeah. I'm like, okay, well at least you got some carbs, you know. Like at least it was in, in the form of wrapped wrapped in chocolate and caramel, but. Yeah, not 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 uh, as you mentioned, not nutrient dense quite. You know is what, what you'd say about that. Let's yeah. pick on uh, Jamal right now. So he just came off, you know, obviously biggest win of his career, winning beating Glover uh, back in January. What what did you do with with him, or certain kind of go to meals, or what was your approach with him as far as making sure he was ready to perform his best? Because you know that performance surprised me. Like I I thought he'd be better than Glover on the feet, but. He really just seemed his stamina was way better than I expected over five rounds, yeah. 
and uh, he really just everything clicked. All the gears were were on point that fight. Yeah, he really showed out, you know. And it, it's it's never easy to go to Brazil, um, mm-hmm. and and win a fight against a Brazilian, especially you know a guy like Glover who's so well rounded and just a veteran in the game and. And he's also like the nicest guy in the world. Like, yeah, dude, you couldn't tell him, we were fighting. Yeah. When him and Jan fought, they were just—it was impossible to choose someone to win because him and Jan are like the sweetest people and like those embedded. They're videos, OGs, you know? you know, like they're yeah. and, and especially Glover. He's he's cut his teeth and he's just been in the mm-hmm. sport for so long where he's got no animosity towards his opponents. He was shaking our mm-hmm. hand all week, making jokes, and and getting to see him like do that and like handle that loss so. I mean, he's just, he's just, a yeah, yeah, he's, yeah. he's just, a, he's just the type of guy that, you know, should, those are the type of guys that should, should be world champions. And, um, yeah, but yeah, back to Jamal, he, everything, like you said, everything clicked that week, but it just mm-hmm. seemed like it was going to happen just cause, you know, fight, he got the fight on short notice. So it was a mm-hmm. mad dash to, to, you know, get him to the fight. He was coming off the couch, except that title fight, you know, was heavy but again, he was coming from, you know, eating a bunch of bad food and, and, and not training <laughs> to just a super clean diet and yeah, two, two a days, you know. So, like, his body had really no choice but to, you know, get in shape quick. And his mind, man, that dude is that dude's built different. You know, he's been through well, a lot say, growing up. He probably gets that call and he's like, well, oh, it's go time. Like, I had six weeks. This is the fight of my life, yeah. you know. All in. And yeah. fighting doesn't scare him. You know, like someone someone offers offers him money to go fight in a parking lot. That dude's jumping in his car and going to the and beat somebody <laughs> up. Yeah. And and that's one of those things that he's he's so like battle tested and like mm-hmm. his mind is just like forged in, in war that he's just ready to go and it doesn't scare him. So like when I we were talking when we were talking about going to Brazil and fighting Glover, like he loved the idea of everyone booing at him and wanting him to lose, <laughs> you know, and like he yeah. thrives in that environment, and 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 that's why I think he did so well. Obviously, he trained mm-hmm. his ass off. Um, he he was in the best shape he's ever been in, just because you know his his nutrition was on point one, but two, he trained two times a day really really hard, and he didn't mm-hmm. give himself a choice but to be in shape, you know. Mm-hmm. Obviously. He's always going to be a good striker. You know, he didn't have that in his back pocket. But, you know, I mean, Glover took him down in that fifth round and mounted him. Yeah. And, yeah. and Jamal reversed him. You know, yeah. so in the position well, yeah, that he said he... mounted him, I twice in that fight. Yeah. And he reversed yeah. both, I think. Yeah. And in all the positions, like, you know, the doubters said he was going to lose and he shined him. And, yeah. like, he wanted, to get in, he wanted to get in those positions. He wanted to... He wanted to... Uh, you know, show show that he's got a ground game and show that he's, you know, well-versed and well-rounded. And he did all that. And he answered all the questions. And that's the biggest thing a champion can yeah. do. You know, yeah. answer well, all the questions yeah. and, and think, leave no doubt. Yeah, he he definitely, again, like surprised me with that performance. I was like a full-on doubter because, like I said, I did think he was going to kind of clean up shop on the feet. But it, I think it certainly showed mentally, as you said, he had that battle-tested mindset to where – it didn't matter what, you know, all the picks that people were making online, Oklahoma was going to beat him on the ground, blah, blah, blah. He was fully convinced that he was going to dominate in every area that of that fight. And even as things got, you know, further down in the fight and Glover was not going away, no matter what you hit him with, uh, round four or five, he was still, you know, let's go. And even in the fifth round, he wasn't playing it safe. He was still trying to put him out, you know? 
Did you see that video of them pouring the water on his the head? The water like, on all him. That, yeah. yeah. That's what I was visualizing. Blood, all, Glover, yeah. all Glover's blood just like yeah. That wasn't none of that was Jamal's blood. That was oh, all Glover. Like he had like yeah. chunks of his like chunks of his like <laughs> skin in his in his in his hair. Yeah, Glover's like, oh, got uh he's got a hell of a chin, man. A hell of a chin. Uh, I was just they yeah. Obviously they weren't going to stop that fight after the the last doctor stoppage before that with the Figueroa yeah. doc like they almost burnt that place down. Yeah. So, it was I knew they he was going to have to put him out for them to stop it, but man, I was I was going nuts. I was like, just please <laughs> stop this fight so we could get out yeah, of here. Yeah, you don't want a Leon situation right either. And then, yeah, it's MMA. Anything could happen, Anything, you know? So yeah. it's like, and then when he when he took him down to that beginning of the fifth round, I was like, you've <laughs> got to be kidding me. But as soon as yeah. he reversed him, I knew that was a nail in the coffin. Jamal on top yeah, of people, yeah. he's, that's going to, when Jamal shows his top game, that's going to that's gonna show some people too what, how, how well-rounded he is and how how special that dude is because his top game is his top game is special too he hurts guys he yeah that kid's got power everywhere and uh got the, the yeah, death he's, touch he's gonna rate, <laughs> yeah he's got the death touch he's like what he did to jimmy crew like he broke that yeah. dude's orbital in multiple places with one shot you know he's, yeah, jimmy he's crew got, got special, another beating recently too <laughs> uh yeah for jimmy but i mean jamal's I a huge dude bro he's he wears he a is. size 15 yeah. 15 shoe yeah it's a big guy at six three, you know, size fifteen shoe at six three, like that's not that's mm -hmm. not. He's a he's just a big dude, and he hits hard. He's athletic, mm -hmm. and he's gonna be a problem for a lot of guys, man. He's and he like I said, it's cool to see him come from, you know, come from where he comes from. But he's also from a super small town gym, like mm -hmm. in Grand Rapids. Like he's from a small jujitsu gym there, and it's all normal guys. Like the coaches are guys that work nine to five jobs as well that's their business and it's cool to see them like you know build the world champion and yeah. very very few people will ever become a world champion but the fact is like he did that in a relatively quick period of time coming mm -hmm. off you know dana white's contender series and then it was just a perfect scenario like the fight the, the other fights a draw yeah. <laughs> you know, Jamal gets to call short notice in Brazil. Like that's what movies are. Like I, I've always yeah. wanted to be part of like just badass moments of the sport. Yeah. And and to go out to Brazil together as a team. Jamal's never traveled abroad, you know, yeah. and and get to experience that together is like that's why I do this because it was yeah. like a hell of a that's story. a memory that I'll that I'll cherish forever because it was also special for us because all those coaches, you know, that's their first time going to Brazil. Mm -hmm. First time having a you know a fighter fighting for a title, doing all the media like it was it was just cool to sit back and be let you know let the week play out. Yeah, but it was one thing where like it just felt like there was going to be a shift. Like it felt well, like Jamal and, and was get coming that from us coming from a smaller camp too, and like you mentioned the smaller gym, it, it raises everybody's expectations of like you know what's possible. You know, it really does. You know, it's like the the rising tide lifts all boats type of mindset. You know. Exactly, and you don't have to be from one of these big box gyms to be a world champion. And like, yeah, you know, a kid, a wrestler in Michigan, has access to go train with Jamal. Like a young kid could go mm -hmm. train at that gym and watch Jamal train every day. And like, that's just in his backyard, and he could be a world champion. Mm -hmm. You know, that's right. Like, it's just, I think the biggest thing is just the fact that he could have this impact on these guys, and just he come, you yeah. know, he doesn't come from anything, and he's built a life that where he could really have whatever he wants yeah and 
and he's gonna have some big fights coming up. I mean, you know, the Yuri fight's huge. The the I Alex Poetan, yeah, yeah, the Poetan <laughs> fight's huge too. You know, I mean, he gets his revenge. He wants to get his revenge for beating up, you know, his coach and his friend. Yeah. And you know, the storyline there is perfect. So yeah. I mean, depending on Izzy. how long, <laughs> yeah, he's gotta get past Izzy, and I don't think he does. But um, <laughs> but yeah, I mean, at the end of the day, there's so many fights that could be made and. Hopefully yeah. Yuri's shoulder heals up soon because that yeah. I think that's that's just an incredible matchup, you know. Stylistically, yeah, I think he's supposed to be back soon. Yeah, I just I just think that the timeline that they're trying to give him, I hope they they give him enough time to yeah to heal up so there's not any doubters when Jamal does you know put his lights <laughs> out. <laughs> I love it. So yeah. speaking of another problem in the division or not in the division but in the UFC is a Yair Rodriguez dude. He's like one of the most electrifying firecracker type of fighters bar none in the, uh, the whole, uh, you know, UFC. So he's a wild man. Con- he's a, yeah. He's a wild man. <laughs> so you got connected with him. Had you worked with him in the past? And, you know, if not, as you kind of come in on this, like last on this, like fight week, you know, what was your approach with basically a week to try and, you know, keep him in tip top shape? So I actually had two weeks. So he hit me. His manager okay. reached out to me on the flight from Brazil. So I was okay. flying from yeah. from from Brazil back to the states to get a connecting flight to Bali because mm-hmm. it was just this ridiculous like this flight path that I had to do that made no sense, <laughs> but I had to yeah. do it. Um, and his manager, I got a Instagram message, and it, I thought it was fake at first because I was like. Ah, <laughs> And he's like, so he, he offered me the spot. Well, he, he wanted to jump on a call first. And so I messaged him. Yeah. I was like, hey, I'll call you when I land. But long story short, Yair was going to finish his camp in Bali just to acclimate. Mm-hmm. Um, so Bali, like I said, three, three and a half hour flight from, from, from here to Perth. Mm-hmm. And so he didn't want to go out to Australia too early, but wanted to come here and, and train. And I mean, we have all the facilities here. Which they didn't know. They had no plan. They had like literally, they're just flying to Bali, and we're gonna and we're gonna Figure win. It out. <laughs> and I'm like, man, I got you. This is my this is my spot. Like, had yeah. a police escort for them waiting when they got here, um, and everything. So it was just an easy transition. So I flew straight flew straight to Bali, and we had four, I think, 15 days total. To we had a week here, and then like six days or seven days in Perth. Mm-hmm. So. Um, I was actually working with uh, the Performance Institute in in Las Vegas, the UFC Performance Institute. Yep. My guy Charles Charles over there was kind of handling um, Yair's nutrition prior. Uh, Yair had a chef in Mexico that he was working with that he'd send all the you know portion sizes mm-hmm. and, and directions to, and then his chef would facilitate that. And then and he had some visa issues or something, so he couldn't come. So then, so you got to kind of hand it off to you pretty last, well, though. Yeah, last minute, last minute sub. <laughs> but he's man he's 30 years old now so he's 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 jacked like i don't know if you yeah. saw how big he was in the fight but he's a big boy you know he's yeah. he's he's you know he's fully he's he's the biggest not a small he's ever been he's not a small 145 <laughs> at all and yeah. so we did have a lot of work to do um when he got here to bali and then we had a lot of work to do in you know fight week mm-hmm. um to get him to scale and be on point because i mean you have to be 145 on the dot or that, less, yeah. you know, yeah. they don't give you a pound allowance for title fights, and that pound. Now they screw Charles Oliveira out of his title. 
Exactly. So like, you don't want to be messing with scales. Yeah. Like I check. That's my nightmare. I check the scale, our our scale, probably five times a day because I'm yeah, like sure I moved. I shifted it. I could. I could. I could have. De- yeah. I could decalibrated it just with me moving it. Like it was in my backpack yeah. for an hour. I got to go check it again. Obviously, it doesn't didn't change too much, but isn't for my you know for my sanity. Um, and my anxiety levels being low, I try to just check it all the time. Um, mm-hmm. So yeah, we finished camp in Bali, which was awesome because it's hot here. Same time as Perth, so we acclimated pretty well. Mm-hmm. Um, and and yeah, so it was definitely wasn't a easy. Uh, what were you cooking for mostly? Um, it would depend. I mean, I was making him some like healthy tacos and stuff like that. Um, he was he was pretty heavy when he got here, so we did have to pull back on a few things because all that travel. I mean, he had like forty yeah. something hours of travel from Mexico, um, so he did did take a couple days for him to kind of flush out all that all that travel, you know, mm-hmm. fluid just from sitting and just you know just not moving around much. Um, mm-hmm. So it was one of those things where it's like he got here and we we had a lot of work to do and uh, and yeah, it was a mad that that was a mad dash to uh, to way in day and then it just all came super quick you know yeah it was just one of those things where like i met i hadn't met the guy i I watched the guy fight before but i'd never met the guy until until you know showed up here in bali and then all right let's go try to win this world title together thankfully uh uh, speaks english pretty well too yeah and i actually i actually speak spanish so yeah so i do we we did pretty we did pretty well and uh and yeah he's a cool he's a cool dude I, i like i said i i didn't uh I didn't know the guy before, so it's, it's and yeah. I didn't know Jamal before I went out to uh, Grand Rapids. I literally pulled up to his house, never never met him, never talked to him. Yeah. And the next thing I know, I'm like sleeping at his house and cooking for him. So it's <laughs> the one thing that I do feel like helped me growing up, that helps me now, was being yeah. the new kid. You know, showing up yeah. at all these new schools and like Makes having sense. to like, you know, start. It, it really helped me transition to like just randomly showing up at someone's house and being comfortable. With social being, skills like, and everything. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, at least in that aspect. And now I'm, yeah. in all other aspects, I'm just weird socially. So, <laughs> well, I, I'm not too. Far I could pull it either. together. I could pull it together with fighters, but outside yeah. of that, I'm, I'm a hermit. <laughs> I'm, I'm a bit of an introvert myself. Uh, so I think this is a perfect chance to weave in. You know, speaking about yeah, you're making weight is uh, the idea of weight cutting. So, briefly for those who aren't familiar, what is weight cutting? Um, and 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 what did that process look like for yeah, or just you know a lot of fighters you work with in general? Okay. Yeah. So weight cutting as opposed to weight loss. So weight loss, obviously some may know, some may not know, but so the fight camp is about weight loss. So he's mm-hmm. losing body fat. He's losing, he's, he's losing actual, actual mass during, yeah. during fight camp. And then essentially weight cutting is dehydration and like losing fluids. So mm-hmm. we get to fight week. That's technically like weight cutting because we are manipulating the kind of intake. Yeah, fiber intake, you know, carbohydrate intake, which is going to affect his glycogen. So we are essentially dehydrating him, and and that is what weight cutting is essentially. Mm-hmm. So start Tuesday, you know, we pull sodium, we pull some fiber, pull carbohydrates, um, and then you water load. Um, so basically, mm-hmm. you're drinking X amount of water based off you know how much weight you had to lose, and that helps flush out the excess sodium, you know, and um, and all that stuff. But the biggest thing is, it's basically a non-sustainable way of losing of losing weight. 
So it's just yeah. you're basically being a shell of yourself, which I, in my term, and if, if I could do it and ban weight cutting, I would if there was a better way to handle it. Yeah. But there, guys are going to find ways around it, whether you're doing hydration testing, whether whatever you're doing. Yeah, I was going to say one system, system doesn't seem to work that it's well. It's garbage. One, one, one system is absolute <laughs> garbage, and they act like it's, it's you know, the saving grace. It's, it's they trash. act about a lot of things, yeah. <laughs> Man, they're, they're tripping. They're, they don't know what they're doing, yeah. but they're, they're, they'll act like they have, they're the gold standard for safety. You know, yeah. but that's just, I guess that's just the world we live in. Shout mm-hmm. out to what championship? Um, yeah, but, they're actually but coming they, to the states. Uh, they're coming. They're coming just to Colorado, like two right? Hours for me, yeah, Broomfield. Yeah, yeah, it's like two hours north of me. Yeah, yeah. Let me know if you want to go. I could probably, I could probably. I, if you're, I, I if had, you're going, I had, con- I had connections at one championship before I started talking about there. Before you just badmouth them. Yeah. Well, if I if you do show up, dude, if you do show up, let's do it because uh, I think DJ is fighting um, which McCall uh, for Mariah for the they're like three peat. Are they actually selling tickets to it? Or are they just uh, I don't think acting like they're going to the US market and um, not selling tickets? <laughs> well, I don't want to take up uh, too much of the, the time ranting on this. I think they are selling yeah, tickets. It's on the schedule. Oh <laughs> uh, yeah. Hopefully they are. They're they're a funny they organization. But anyway, back to back to weight cutting. Uh so uh, like you mentioned, you're basically getting into like a shell of yourself for this brief period to step on the scale, hit the weight. And then rehydrate and get back to actually feeling, you know, to your optimum self. So after they hit that weight, what is that? Well, I guess let me give you a two-part question. First off, what are some of the techniques? I guess you may or may not handle most of this, but what are the techniques that you at least like to see as far as, you know, is it more sauna? Is it more like a hot bath? Is it more, you know, that like sauna box that people will like zip themselves yeah. in? Like what, what are your preferred methods of cutting that as safely as possible? And then more so... How do you go about hydrating them as best as possible? And I like that you mentioned coconut extract or coconut water because that's a you know a huge ingredient that I use a lot. For, you know whether I'm doing ultras or, or things like that. So touch on the first question, the method of cutting weight. It depends on the athlete, mm-hmm. and I actually handle all that. So that's 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 my most stressful day is because I'm I'm in there with them doing that doing that process. Mm-hmm. Um, so it, it really depends on the guys. Some guys like baths. Some guys hate baths. So like let's say we do a bath. I'm monitoring the temperature, uh, monitor, mm-hmm. and and time, and basically I'm I'm tracking their sweat, how much they're sweating, tracking all that. So I have all that like all that on paper. I'll start I'll start a lap timer, so I'm, I kind of have an idea how much they're sweating, how consistently they're sweating. Yeah. Um, and so that's in the bath, and then in the sauna it's a little bit more difficult, but track the temperature. It's just hard to yeah. adjust the temperature in a sauna. Obviously, like if it's a, if it's a dry sauna, like you really have no control over the temperature. The mm-hmm. temperature is kind of just the temperature. Um, and then, like let's say we're doing sauna, keep guys in there for an X amount of time before they start sweating. Kind of track their sweat, see how they're doing. Get them out, and then we'll usually do a, a wrap or like a mummy or a burrito. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And um, so that that essentially is us wrapping them in towels. Still keeping the sweat going, but getting them out of the high heat. So obviously, yeah. their cortisol ra- their, their cortisol raises when they're in you know in the sauna. Mm-hmm. Um, it's high temperature. It's highly stressful. So when we get them out of there to a lower temperature, the sweat stays somewhat consistent, but mm-hmm. they're out of that environment. So they're wrapped up yeah. in towels, um, put a little ice on their neck, still track their sweat, and then do that process. I mean, and then some smaller guys like the, the like the fast twitch guys, I like to call them. Mm-hmm. They usually like to work that weight off. So do pads. Yeah, I've seen you know, some fighters do that, yeah. 
Mm-hmm. And I had to think of it, guys that are just smaller, just have that, have that like that fast twitch, and they like to move. They're kind of just like, mm-hmm. you know, they're they're guys jittery. that like jittery, like they just like to be able to move. So the last thing mm-hmm. they want to do is just you know wrap up in a wrap up in some towels and sit there. Yeah, you know. And Sergio, Sergio Pettis is one of those guys. Like, like he could be in a sauna for twenty minutes and you know lose two pounds, mm-hmm. or he could do like a slow pace on a treadmill and lose two and a half pounds, you know, and, 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 be and do, the same, do, do the same <laughs> amount of time, you know, and yeah. he's not breathing in hot air, you know, and um, mm-hmm. so it's one of those things of preference, um, depending on what that fighter does, so I don't try to yeah. change that, you know, okay. I'll give guys tips, I'm like, hey, I think this will work better, based yeah. off your sweat rate, or, but like, a guy like Yair, he was like, dude, I'll just do, and a guy like uh, Jamal, who doesn't really cut too much weight in terms of water, like he only he worked his weight off and he lost you know three and a half pounds in that session, did mm-hmm. a little did a little pad work, some grappling, woke up on weight. You know, so that's an easy one. That's that's the those are the ones I want to be part of. You know, yeah. because it's, <laughs> my morning isn't riddled with anxiety and stress. Yeah. Um, of having to get someone in a sauna, get someone in a bath. You know, it's it's mm-hmm. it's just highly it's highly stressful. Like I tell people, I'd rather be them than be me because yeah. I'm facilitating. You know the the whole process of it and it, it's stressful but um but i guess yeah at the end of the day it just comes down to a preference of the athlete but with the and then, uh, when it comes thing, to rehydrating was, not to cut you when it comes to rehydrating how do you go about that process so um rehydrating obviously replenishing like sodium electrolytes i mean whether it's in yeah. the form of you know coconut water um or or like some noon tablets something like that Mm-hmm. Um, everything in the UFC has to be third-party tested, so if okay. I am using like that uh, makes sense, yeah. I like I use like the sis sis, yeah, sis. Yeah, yeah, I've seen that brand. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Those ones are third-party tested, um, and then getting like a a carbohydrate, um, like a like I'll use GM One Sport just because that one's yeah. third-party tested as well. Shout out to VPN, um, <laughs> and. Um, and then it just is based off the weight cut. Honestly, I had yeah. like a whole algorithm that's just how much how much they came in at fight week at, um, what they weighed in at. Um, so I have a general idea of how much sodium, potassium, um, and electrolytes they lost throughout the week. Okay. And then so you got down to the science. Replenishing them with that, and yeah. then obviously putting that back in, and then then refueling them is a whole different thing. But yeah, the base the base of it is they're losing a bunch of electrolytes through sweat. Yeah, losing potassium as well through that, and then they're glycogen depleted just because we've cut their carbs, and they've been training pretty much, not all the time we cut their carbs, but I mean most of the time guys are cutting weight. You're going to be cutting cutting back on carbs just because the the weight of that glycogen yeah. in their muscles. So refueling so, so, them with that. I was going to say so more of a, a fan question. What do you think about you know the just guys who are massive for the division like a uh, Alex Pajeda or uh, Chimaev, right? I love it. Just a monster for one seventy. I do too. I, mean, I just wonder: Do you think uh, Chamayev could can, 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 uh, continue to make one seventy, or what? You know, <laughs> I think he has to restructure whatever he does and have a plan. You know, he's yeah. the type of guy that I mean, I don't know. I know a few, you know, details about you know, kind of what happened that week, but more yeah. so, he's just a guy that goes into it and just like there's just chaos. You know, it's just the way he fights is kind of the way he approaches a lot of things. Yeah, he's a and, wild dude. Um, <laughs> So it would, it would take a lot of time for him to, you know, structure that, 
structure that weight cut properly and that weight descent properly. But at the end of the day, you know, he, he could, he could be world champion at 85 as well. So like, I like to see these guys have, you know, longevity in the sport and I would not want to see them, you know, killing themselves and, you know, doing permanent damage just to make this weight where you could be a champion at 85 and be fully fueled and, it's one of those things that I'd like to see these, you know, these massive weight cuts go away, and I mean, guys can yeah. still be big and strong, but not be, mm-hmm. you know, not be putting their lives at risk, you know, to to make this weight. And it's people don't see the, you know, the long term effects of a lot of these fights. Yeah. You know, you turn your you turn your TV off, you know, you don't see this man or woman go home to their family beat up and and you mm-hmm. know have long term you know concussion symptoms. And mm-hmm. let's say you are cutting, you know, a tremendous amount of weight. You're more susceptible to concussions, you know, and you're, yeah. you're you're susceptible to concussions anyways because you're going out there getting punched in the head. But yeah. Like if you're going out there dehydrated, it's even worse. And <laughs> you know, at a disadvantage, you you know, you're you're at risk for for more damage. And this is a sport of damage. Mm-hmm. And at the end of the day, you know, I'm I care about a lot of the guys I work with, so I want to put myself in the best position to put them, you know, in a position to not not be at risk. You know, it's a dangerous sport. Mm-hmm. And you're doing something very dangerous before, you know, going out there and getting in a fist fight. Um, so as, as much as I like to see these giants and like these scary, like boogeyman guys in the division, mm-hmm. you know, I, I also like to see these guys kind of get starched and lose too, because like, you know, it doesn't, it doesn't mean you're a better fighter if you're bigger, yeah. you know, seeing these small guys come in and do well, just like Volkanovsky this weekend, yeah. it goes yeah. to show you, you don't have to cut weight to be the best in the world. And regardless of who you think won, it's up for debate. That fifth round, Islam was, you know, he was rounding. And that's yeah, a guy that's yeah. much, much bigger and on paper should should have finished the fight. Mm-hmm. But he didn't. And, you know, Volkanovski could have gone five more rounds. Yeah, dude. And that's, I think that's a true test of a pound for pound. That's a true test for a pound for pound. Don't yeah. change that list. He didn't, he didn't, well, like, did, he didn't really show yeah. much. Yeah. You know, he, he, he won the fight on paper. But at the end of the day, like, Pound for pound, like if, they, if, they, if there was no clock and those guys were going, Islam's in trouble. Islam is in big trouble. <laughs> well, while, while I got you on that, while we're talking about pound for pound, I want to segue and get your take on uh, So John Jones. We're like two weeks away, man. That's yeah, crazy. Uh, He's coming your, back. <laughs> what are your expectations for him, man? Because So I'll give you a little bit of my thoughts is, uh, you know, three years off, a little bit worried about like the ring rust concept of it. And he wasn't showing out as much as he had in previous fights as he, as he kind of you know tailed off with light heavyweight. But three years off, worked up his body. I'm guessing he's probably going to be in like the, the low 250s or upper 240s, what I'm guessing. Although I know he wanted to be like 265. And my yeah. other thing too is he's done it slowly. He's worked with, um, I forgot what his, the, the lifting guy's name is. His like nickname is like the Rhino. Steve uh, Efforting. I don't know if you're familiar yeah, with Steve Efforting. Yeah. But um. Yeah. Worked with him, done all this strength training. Obviously, he's a freak athlete. His, his reach is absolutely absurd. He's, you know, in my opinion, the goat, and in many people's opinion, the goat. No, what are your thoughts on uh, that that uh, fight coming up? Because Gon's a uh, a hell of a test, but to me, like a little less frightening than him fighting Ngannou, who in has Ghanu. you know nuclear yeah. bombs in both hands. So I mean, John has that wild card in him. You know, he is just a wild man. So as far as ring rust goes, I don't think that's going to be a factor just because that dude, he's crazy. You know, he's yeah. like, he's not going to be, you know, shell-shocked by 
you know, going up a division and fighting, you know, fighting for the when title. When he used to spar with heavyweights all the time, right? All the time, bro. He used to, yeah. bro, I know he used to just smoke heavyweights <laughs> in the gym. Like, yeah. and that's rolling off a bender. Like, he, yeah. he, yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. John, does, he, John is the type of athlete that has that it factor in him, obviously naturally talented, and just has a freak body type. You know, mm-hmm. those long arms. The whole family is cardio. top The whole athletes. family. I mean, they're, yeah, they're all multimillionaires. Just, yeah, just, you know, great genetics. Yeah. Great genetics. Yeah. And obviously, he's a hard worker, too, but more so just great great genetics. And I think the, the fight's going to go. I mean, if you look at the way Nganu controlled that fight just with his wrestling, mm-hmm. obviously, just off sheer strength, having that advantage is big. But you can't, I mean, if there's really good wrestlers, and I've talked to good wrestlers about this. Just because the guy's strong, yeah, doesn't mean he's gonna out wrestle you. If you know yeah. how to wrestle, just having a guy that can out wrestle you just because he's strong is is a big red flag. Um, mm-hmm. Because he he, I mean he he, that's how he won the fight, right? And that was on one knee. And yeah. Ganu's knee was destroyed. Oh, I that see fight. what you're saying. Yeah, you're you're saying yeah. Because because my question was. You know, is Jones as strong as Ngannou? And to your point, I don't think he is. But again, to your point, I think Ngannou was able to leverage the wrestling purely just like muscling him through the air with those massive on takedowns, leg. right? On, on one, one leg. leg, exactly. That so knee was factor just- in athleticism and yeah. Yeah. superior wrestling and like legitimate wrestling. Mm-hmm. It's gonna. I think it's gonna be a long night. I think he takes him down. I think he hurts him with elbows, and I, I think he. I think he submits him pretty quickly. I think it happens yeah. before the, you know, before the fourth round. Yeah, I'm definitely excited to see it. I, I uh, John Jones was kind of like the one that like got me into like MMA a little bit, and um, you know, me the, too. The, the me sad, too. I was a huge John Jones fan. The sad truth of it is though, is as soon as I started following I, the first like fight I was following, I wasn't able to uh, find any illegal streams at the time. But when he first fought DC, and yeah. uh, <laughs> and so. I, uh, you know, was like watching or like looking at the like live feed. People were talking about that. And, uh, of course, after that, he's like suspended. Okay. For cocaine. Yeah. Then he comes yeah. back. Okay. Fights St. Peru goes to fight DC again. I wake up the morning of the fight. It's canceled because he tested positive. And then, yeah. you know, eventually they reschedule it. He fights DC wins. I'm running as much as I love DC running around the room excited. Cause I'm like, yeah, John won. And then yeah. he gets suspended again. And <laughs> it's like, I never get to watch this guy. That is like my it's a roller coaster. being, being, uh, being a John Jones fan is like being like an Eagles fan, you know, yeah. like you're, yeah. you're, you're getting your heart broken all the time. I was a huge, huge John Jones fan. Like since yeah. when I was in high school, I remember when he beat Shogun. Yeah. And this is when he was like the good, like Christian dude. He was yeah. like just beating people up and like praying and or allegedly he was he said he was praying but you know getting to see him coming at 23 years old and being like just a savage and this wild rise. man yeah yeah and then so I was a huge John Jones fan and when he fought DC I was still a John Jones fan um, and then obviously when I met DC I was like you know what. <laughs> John Jones fuck sucks. that guy. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, fuck John Jones. <laughs> Cheater. Um, and then yeah. yeah, John and then I saw John in the elevator one time and he knew who I was and like he gave me this dirty look and then I gave him a dirty look and I was Oh, like, damn. Damn, no yeah. fan no more. <laughs> yeah. No. And then I also felt robbed of like a lot of good fights because of John's decision yeah. making, you know. Yeah. So more yeah. so, you know, you like to see greatness, you know, I think in mm-hmm. any form 
Yeah. It's cool to see a guy that's leaps and bounds ahead of everyone else. Mm-hmm. And I think John Jones owes it to himself and owes it to the fans to, you know, go out there and, you know, do what he should have been doing the past five years. You yeah. know, and just being active, you know, showing yeah, stay how, clean, how <laughs> stay out of trouble. I love Gone too, yeah. I mean he's he's a great yeah. guy and a, such a athletic just specimen, you know, at heavyweight. Yeah. But yeah, I mean I I think John's gonna do really good, but at the end of the day, it's a heavyweight fight, so anything can happen. But yeah. yeah, I just want a good fight. I want John to yeah. be able to go out there and 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 put on a show, and hopefully all this work that he's been doing, um, you know, getting up to heavyweight, pays off. Yeah. Um, but yeah, he's got a, he's got a true test, and and, and Gon's so athletic. Like I think mm-hmm. that's the first person that's gonna match John's athleticism. Yeah. Um, so it's gonna it's crazy that it's two weeks away. I, I know, I know. I I checked the calendar and I was like, oh shit! Like I kept thinking it was like three or four weeks, and I was like, man, we're close, we're close. Yeah, no, they're 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 really pushing a bunch of pay per views now because I mean, then a couple weeks after that, March is two. Is, yeah, yeah. Uh huh. London, yeah. It's Izzy, oh yeah, London, and then right after that, it's Izzy and uh, mm-hmm. they too, yeah. in, uh, in uh, uh-huh. Miami. So yeah, yeah, they're 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 pushing out fights, and then obviously come June, July. Hopefully we get, you know, get light heavyweight. I'm just, I'm really hoping that Yair and uh, Jamal are not on the same card. Oh, that'd be like stressful. Where they, yeah. where they do like a, you know, like a international fight week, like Jamal Hill versus, you know, Yuri. And then I, I doubt Volkanovski's going to turn around and fight at, light, at featherweight. I think they're going to, they're going to do a rematch at, at lightweight. I uh, don't think Islam. they will. I think you know? well, I think I think it depends if 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 they schedule Oliveira and uh, and Daryush, they might they might try and pick the winner of that. But that's supposed to be in April or may even May, so that's going to be a bit. But I think they'll wait it out. Like I I don't think they'll schedule the rematch. I think they do want to, and plus they don't want to have an interim champ just kind of sit on ice. They probably want to get Yair back in there. And yeah. to your point though, they might schedule it on the same card mainly because. I don't think well no they did do Volk headlining against Chance on Jung or yeah. So I I don't I don't know uh we'll see. We'll see. Yeah, but, I mean, uh, <laughs> it's crazy timing, yeah. The fact that they fought back to back like within a couple of weeks it's just like with my luck they're going to be on the same card. Yeah, yeah. Just a lot of traveling and uh and, and stress for you. Well, I appreciate uh, connecting with you and I, I definitely want to stay in touch and get, you know, pick your brain on a lot of these fighters or, or prospects because it's definitely interesting to see from a from a fan perspective but uh where can people find you and, and you know what do you have coming up any uh, i know you ran that bali ultra do you have anything else you're training for do you have time for that yeah these days? so i'm training for that again i'm i'm doing that again i'd like to do it again in may but um i broke my foot during the the first one so mm-hmm. i'm still kind of dealing with on the mend a bunch of stress fractures from that um I'd like to do it again in May, but just in terms of scheduling for the race, I mean for mm-hmm. the for the fights, it's going to be tough just because um, I got to fly to the states in a couple of weeks for a fight, and then mm-hmm. Sergio Pettis is going to be fighting here soon, mm-hmm. and then I got a couple guys that are just going to be fighting back to back to back. So it's looking maybe September for the for the ultra. It comes back. It's 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 again in September. Mm-hmm. So trying to manage that. Um, and do that again. I got. I got to go sub ten. I I was so mad that at my time and and everything with that. But I, as you know, with with races and ultras, any anything can happen. It's like a oh, fight. Yeah. But 
Yeah. I, that's not a good enough excuse for me. I, I, yeah. I, am, I should have been <laughs> in control of the uncontrollable, and, and, and I, uh, I got to make things right with that. So. Yeah, nothing yeah. ever goes. The funny to thing point. about that, the funny thing about that was my first marathon was on race day. So like, I just had to. In my mind, I was like, I just got to do two marathons a day, and then just get the first one out of the way, and that's my first marathon, and then take <laughs> a quick second one, and I'll be good. Yeah, um, what's the problem with that? <laughs> yeah, it doesn't it seems it seems like a completely normal thing to do. I I, I couldn't yeah. I couldn't see. It. It so what's the Instagram? Easy. Where can people find you? Yeah, Instagram is Chef Larios. Um, I pretty much just have Instagram to be honest. I haven't. Is there any uh, dot um, or anything? It's just exactly how it sounds. Yeah, I know Chef Larios. Yeah, C H E F L A R I. And it'll be linked in the show notes anyway. So, all set. Yep. Sweet. Cool, man. Well, I appreciate it, and people know where to find you. And uh, again, if you found this interesting. Please share the show, subscribe for more stuff like this, and I'll catch you guys in the next one.